0: To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCOA. The available AKG 36-speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360-degree sound, so you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.
1: Hello and Welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. My name is Stephen Joderand, and joining me is Jake Watroba. On today's show, we talk to sporting Kansas City assistant coach Kerry Savagnan on all things SKC. If you haven't done so already, follow us on the Twitter machine at Uncle Sam Soccer Pod. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. Now, let's get to today's episode. <whistles> boy jake what a week in mls or for mls i should say
2: yeah steven it's been a week certainly not a good week for mls as things go for the league in Concacaf champions league but it's definitely been a week
1: yeah listeners come back the next couple of days we'll discuss more the more of the news surrounding major league soccer but let's talk about sporting kansas city jake and they're kind of the one of those clubs that, at times, stay under the radar, but they have had some great success and can easily be one of the staples for MLS.
2: Yeah, they're kind of the the measuring stick in MLS as things go for success. They're they're consistently relevant. When was the last time SKC was truly bad or not 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 a contender in in for MLS cup. They're, they're kind of, they're kind of like the poster child for the the little club that could.
1: So they've won two MLS cups, 2000 and 2013, one supporter shield in 2000, the U S open cup four times in 04, 12, 15 and 17. So we are in 2019. Uh, they're due for another U S open cup. And I mean, get this, they were first in the West in 2018, fifth in the West in 2017, Fifth in the West in 2016, sixth in the West in 2015. In 2014, they were fifth. 2013, they were second. I mean, playoffs, 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 playoffs.
2: Right, and that, a lot of that credit goes to Peter Vermees and, and Caris Evagian for leading that club to just consistently being good. I mean, what is that? Both of those those two have been with the club for ten years, and for the last at least 5 years of what you just read there they've been consistently uh contending for an MLS Cup title.
1: Yeah, I mean especially the last uh, couple of years you would say they're they're up there and then they they're due to make a deep run in the playoffs this upcoming season and talking about deep runs Concacaf Champions League Sporting KC were were the last hope for MLS. A lot of MLS fanboys, a lot of the media A lot of people who wanted to see MLS finally succeed in CONCACAF Champions League. Sporting KC was the last hope until last Thursday where they lose. They get thumped in Monterey, 5-0. I mean, what of a joke of a performance. At times, there's a Grand Canyon standing between MLS and Liga MX. A Grand Canyon. That's the difference it feels like when it comes to the CONCACAF Champions League.
2: No, Stephen, you you are correct. I mean, Peter Vermees had a best following the uh, loss to Monterey on Thursday. He was quoted as saying, I need money to buy quality players. The quality here is much, much more. I don't know if we've heard an, a sitting MLS coach come out and say, I can't compete with these teams in Mexico.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of it has been more under the radar, but Peter Vermees just says it bluntly. And I love it. Finally, so some accountability for ownerships to realize, hey, these coaches are tired of looking like trash or garbage when it comes to playing these Liga emekis clubs. It's not a good look whatsoever. Because when you look overseas, and MLS might be a fun league to join, but God, when they play in a CONCACAF Champions League, it is, it's a Grand Canyon of a difference. And I think Grant Wall finally showed some angry or some anger towards just the overall, overall performance of Major League Soccer in this year's CONCACAF Champions League. He, he tweets out April 4th. So this, this has to be during the game or after. Don't remember exactly. Be better, MLS. MLS, CCL, X, 11 years, angry emoji. And then I think the best tweet is no longer on his timeline, but you have it for us.
2: Yeah, I think it was part of that thread. He uh, tweets out, "Seriously, so tired of MLS being crap." Now we all know Grant Wall is more of a U.S. soccer writer. He more so special. It seems recently he's been specializing more in writing about Americans over in Europe. But that's a that's a pretty bold statement coming from the biggest media member in terms of soccer in this country.
1: It's a bold statement, and again, like Peter Vermees, I love it. It's blunt. People are going to recognize it. It's going to make a, a ripple effect so, somewhere, somehow. Hopefully, hopefully, it allows for more spending. But who knows? Um, listeners, so on today's show, we spoke with Kari Savagnin. He's a, an assistant coach at SKC, and uh, we actually interviewed him last week before the performance in Monterey. So we don't necessarily talk a lot about Concacaf Champions League or the specific matchup against Monterey, knowing that we'd release this after result and. No one actually knew what the result was going to be. But Savagnin has quite a history with Major League Soccer, Jake. He's won MLS Cup and the U.S. Open Cup. He was named to the MLS All Star team. He was also named Best 11 in 2004. He's represented the red, white, and blue multiple times, actually, 21 times. And now he's been coaching, and yeah. It it's quite of an insightful interview. We discussed a lot of moving parts. How Sporting KC has been so successful, youth, obviously just balancing three competitions. For a little tease for the listeners, Jake, what was your biggest takeaway?
2: Steven, one thing I found interesting, and maybe I'm reading a little too much into this. Listeners, you decide after you listen to the show, tweet at us at OnkSamSoccerPod. It sounded like Carrie Zevagan took a subtle shot at U.S. National Team Players today.
1: Well, there you go. Listeners, up next, our interview with Carrie Savagnin, Assistant Coach at Sporting Kansas City.
2: joining us on the show right now is sporting kansas city assistant coach carrie Zavagnin. carrie how are you doing today great how are you carrie we're doing great and let's get straight to it
1: and i really want to go back to the early days of mls when you were playing you won mls cup you won u.s open cup you were also named to the mls all-star team in 2004 and best 11 but talk about your experience in the early days of mls
0: well, I think going back to those days, I, I remember going into the combine uh, down in Fort Lauderdale, uh, much different than what it is uh, today. Uh, a lot of overage players trying to make their way into a, uh, an up-and-coming league. And so, when I joined in '97, it was still just basically a, 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 a paid uh, amateur-type league. It was it was trying to get its feet on the ground, trying to establish itself in the landscape of professional sports and um, I think in those early years as players, as coaches, as staff members, we were, we were, uh, our prime focus was trying to grow the league. Uh, and at the same time for a lot of American players, really trying to establish themselves and, and may, and carve out a professional career because there weren't a lot of opportunities up until the point, uh, you know, obviously, unless uh, you go over to Europe. So the, the game in the United States was much different than what we, what we see it today. Nevertheless. Um, you know, in order to, to, to establish yourself as a, as a major sport, you really have to go through those, uh, those early years. The NFL did it, uh, the NBA did it, major league baseball did it. Uh, so it was those early years that I think, uh, really paved the way for what we see today. And if it wasn't for the owners and it wasn't for the people that were financially invested and emotionally invested, of course we wouldn't have the league that we have today, but as a player, I would say that it was uh, a great opportunity, a great experience, but, um, you know, to reflect back on it when you think of what it was then versus today, I believe there's very little comparisons outside of there are two goals in a ball Carry,
2: mm-hmm. This might be kind of a loaded question, but you alluded to this in your answer about uh you know Americans just trying to make a name for themselves in a young league. Would you say it's it was easier then for Americans to break into m l s than it is today
0: uh I, I don't know. I, w- I would say uh, there were certainly a lot more opportunities, but back at that time, I remember there were five designated players uh, for, for a few of the years in the league, just so that you could round out rosters and, and make sure that you had some, some sort of a, a quality product. A lot of overage uh, aging veterans that had had uh, very good careers outside of the United States were coming in. And whether it was the Roberto Donadonis of the world or the Carlos Valderramas of the world, those were players into their 30s that, were, uh, that we don't see today when we, start, when we talk about designated players. So that, that has shifted a little bit. As for the American player, I would say, yeah, certainly there was, there was potentially more opportunities, but I would say that in today's game, there's more opportunities when you consider the academy and the pathway to the professional game. Uh, there are more opportunities for Americans to play at a higher level.
1: Kerry, I, I'm curious to know, what was the hardest part to overcome as a player in the early parts of MLS?
0: Well, I think uh, you know, look, there wasn't a there wasn't a sound infrastructure, so we were we were forced to deal with a lot of uh, uh, difficult scenarios, whether it was playing on uh, massive stadiums on Astroturf or or the fact that we didn't have a lot of training facilities to with our with access uh, to to training every day. so, I remember here in Kansas city, we were basically, uh, training and and dressing out of, uh, out of a shed basically. And you had a shower that if you didn't, if you weren't one of the first ones in the shower, you know, it was, the water was up to your knees by the time, uh, the fifth or sixth guy got in there, there wasn't drainage. We, our trainers, you know, we were, we were taping out of the back of the trainer's car and, you know, our pregame meal consisted of going to a health club and having donuts. And so, the challenge was: is you were playing strictly for the love of the game, and knowing that uh, you were you were responsible for trying to bring the next uh, generation of the game to the United States. And so, I think that was the most difficult part. But I think on the flip side, what you did is you gained an appreciation and a respect for for the game, for your teammates, for the uh, the quest that you were on to make Major League Soccer one of the uh, the premier leagues in the world, then you knew you weren't going to do it during your time, but you certainly uh, felt it, felt a sense of obligation um, at that moment to to play a part in
2: that. Kerry, I want to I want to ask you about SKC. You guys have played four matches in the league. You've played a handful of matches in Concacaf Champions League with Monterey coming up this Thursday. How are you guys feeling so far?
0: Well, I think if you if you asked us at the beginning of the year that we'd be competitive in league play while navigating the champions League, i I, I think most teams would say it's an acceptable start, and we would have punched our ticket uh, on the first day of preseason if you told us we'd be playing Monterey in the semifinals and and have seven points in the league. So I think we feel good about that, but I think we also understand the big task that's in front of us, not not necessarily just speaking about, uh the the champions league uh with monterey but the the navigation of the season between three competitions the champions league uh MLS, and the u.s open cup and so i think we feel good but we understand the work that's in front of us
1: in what ways has sporting kc dealt with those three competitions and navigating them successfully
0: well, I I, I think uh, you know. Look, we're we're a team that has always placed a priority on the Open Cup. I know there's a lot of teams that uh, use reserve players just because of the the balance of the schedule. It's it's through the hotter months of the of the summer. So here in here in our club, we've we've placed a high priority on that, and I think that speaks to why we've won it uh, the amount of times that we have. But at the same time, when you when you go through Champions League, and I I, I think we've talked about this before internally, is that you have to be good for consistent seasons you know we punched our ticket to this league's this year's Champions League uh, back in seventeen when we won the open Cup against uh, New York Red Bull and so we had to be good that year and and so we were good enough to win a championship but not only did we have to be good that year we had to now build a roster understanding you know the the restrictions that we have with the with the cap and and the player movement we had to build a roster that would be Competitive the next year in 2018, um, and then really uh, try to reach the the high point of being able to be competitive in all three competitions in 2019. And I think that takes a lot more of kind of a long-term view uh, when you're when you're putting this kind of path together. Because I think there's there there are clubs that go into this thinking, well, we're going to build the team to win this year. We want to build it to win the MLS Cup, but then. If you, if you don't, if you're not careful about it, you can really put yourself in a bad position come the following year. And, and in order to do well in Champions League, in order to win Champions League, you really have to be maximizing your roster in that year. But knowing that you had to be a pretty, pretty good team in the years prior.
2: Kerry, I want to ask you about Peter Vermees. You two have been at the club since 2009. Uh, what makes Peter Vermees so good?
0: Well, oh, I I think he has so many uh, experiences, uh, qualities of being a leader that that uh, are really rivaled by nobody in, in in the game right now. I would say, you know, I think he learned uh, the business of the sport in in camps probably when he was a teenager. So he understood the camp business when he was young. He took his uh, licensing as he went through his playing career, which brought him from you know to from hungary to spain to holland to uh the united states and obviously with the national team and the 90 world cup so he has this really rich uh experience as a player um and then post-playing career he understands every level of the game um from the grassroots all the way up to the professional game so he can really piece that together and i think the 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 real essence of him is that he's he's a guy that that likes projects and putting long-term projects together. And you, you really don't get that with a manager in professional sports. Uh, manager comes in, understands that it's a position of being a mercenary, and he spends two or three years at one job, and then he goes on to the next. And so when you look across the landscape of not just soccer but all sports, it's really unheard of to see a manager, I believe, maybe it's Alex Ferguson that spends so much time at – at man united but it, it it's really unheard of for a manager to have that staying power longevity leadership vision both short and long term and to do it on a competitive level year after year
1: the last time mm-hmm. sporting kc was in the semifinals of an international competition was 17 years ago in 2002 in concacaf champions mm-hmm. league when peter Vermes and you were on the field Talk about that experience in CONCACAF Champions League and just the change over time and just going back and playing with Peter. How has that shifted into how you operate as coaches?
0: Well, to, to address the first part, the Morelia uh, competition, or the I believe it was American Orte, whatever it was called at the time, but the, the international competition that we were involved in, and it, it wasn't just that year. It was for a few other years that we played a part in playing Santos Laguna Uh, A couple of times, but I remember the Morelli. I can't remember the game, uh, how it played out. I know we lost by a number of goals, but um, that was a competition that at that time, I really believe that, you know, outside of playing with the national team against Mexico, in which there's always been uh, a healthy rivalry um, at that time, the Mexican teams really weren't playing their best lineups. They could they could put a second tier lineup there. And navigate through the competition with relative ease. And a lot of that had to do with the quality of the rosters in MLS. Sure you had you had a handful of guys that could play. Um you, you had a decent maybe starting eight, nine, or ten. If you had a really good team, maybe you're starting eleven, uh, you were competitive in each spot. But certainly you couldn't you couldn't compete with the, the financial or the or the uh the on field quality between the Mexican league and the US League at that time. So we were overmatched, but we weren't, uh, we didn't, I remember not going in with any fear at the time. And so uh, we did our best with what we have. And so I think over the years, I think we've bridged that gap. And as you see in the last couple of years, that gap continues to get smaller and smaller between the two countries. So, you know, playing, playing with Peter on the field, it was, uh, you know, and being part of, I, I believe we started in 2000. So it's been almost, you know, 20 years that we've been, either playing together or working together. And I think when you go all the way back to those early days, as we talked about all the issues that you had off the field with the infrastructure, with the the processes, with um, the travel, all of these things were really boxes that you could check or notes you could make about, uh, you know, if, if you could do it your way, if you had a club, how would you change things? And so, you know, everything from the bus arriving to the airport to pick you up, what time it would pick you up, where it would pick you up from, we were talking about those things as players at that time. So it really wasn't uh, anything new when we took over the positions of now being able to make these decisions. So um, of course led by him in his mind and how he thinks about the details of things. I think that's what it was like playing as a player, but those things carried over onto the field in terms of how the team would play, what we, what you would need to do, how you would train them. And so this has been a, uh, 18, 19 nineteen-year process of of trying to get better each and every year, but starting with a really uh, analytical foundation that many years ago.
2: We heard Brad Friedel talk about how MLS players don't have much pressure, quote unquote, uh, in today with no promotion relegation. Can you talk about you know some of the pressures that coaches face today? You can look at, at what like uh, a lot of clubs do; they don't really play much of their youth prospects. Where SKC you guys seem to be doing that more than than most clubs do. Can you talk about why SKC's philosophy might be different than another team's?
0: Well, I, I it, it's tough to speak about you know individual clubs outside of ours. I I could say what we do, not saying that this is the way to do it. There are many ways, but but from the beginning, and obviously you have to take into account the consistency of the staff, as I was alluding to the strengths of what peter brings to the table in terms of having a long-term vision you really have to be bold enough to go through some some trying times and to be brave enough to stick with your guns uh, whether it be your core value system and making difficult decisions and standing by your core values or really clearly defining your your idea of play and the idea of your game and what kind of players what kind of people you're going to bring into the club and then relying on your academy to really build players into your system and and how you want to see the game played and so if you don't have that foundation if you don't have that culture it makes it really difficult and you're really shooting from the hip from time to time when it comes to uh when when things don't seem to be going right so it's not easy to refer back to what your is your backbone what is your foundation and so i think that's probably been one of the strengths that we have we we know who we are. We know what we we do well. We know that we have to improve. We know that the league, uh, as you were talking about, the pressures that are on coaches. We see a lot of international coaches coming into the league. A lot more money coming into the league. A lot more teams coming into the league, which uh, inevitably leads to a lot more volatility. Not everybody's going to make the playoffs every year. In the first couple of years, you know, ten out of the twelve teams made the playoffs. And when you make the playoffs, you think you had a good year. So early in the league two teams had a bad year and and 10 had good years so the perspective on things has changed dramatically and as more teams come into the league as more money comes into the league i think that just adds to more competitive competitiveness but also more volatility so um, each and every club is going to do it different Um, each and every club you know they may play their, their their older players they may not put emphasis on the academies or the younger players while other clubs may do may do it the other way around and really try to build young players into an already strong foundation.
1: Kerry, as a coach, tactically speaking, what have you seen that has changed the way MLS has played out tactically?
0: Well, I, I think the game continues to evolve. And I think as more minds and, and, uh, you know, players that have played the game at a high level and, um, you know, players that have played over in Europe, you know the, these the, as we expand our horizons, uh, certainly in the coaching arena, the young American coaches are continually developing. And when you bring uh, experienced international coaches in, it just pushes you to be better. Um, and so the competitiveness of 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 the game from a tactical perspective continues to grow. I, you know you can see games on TV between two teams uh, in MLS that, at the end of it, you could say, you know what, that was a that was a really well played game by both teams. And 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 at the same time, you can we, we still have games in this league that uh, you'd rather turn off after 15 minutes. So I would say that the game is growing. It's getting better tactically. It's evolving. Um, teams and coaches are becoming more sophisticated in their in their um, in their in their strategies and their tactics. So uh, it continues to grow. Uh, but we've it, the the culture in our country. Um, we're starting from, from, you know, almost 100 years behind in, in the other places around the world. So um, there's naturally you're, you're a little bit behind. But I would say the rate at, the, at which we are growing is much faster than what uh, I would have anticipated in the early years of this league.
2: Kerry, you made uh, 21 appearances with the national team throughout your uh, playing career. Can you tell us some of your finest memories with the national team?
0: Yeah, I I think uh, one of the greatest parts of being part of the national team at that time, and, and Bruce Arena uh, had, had done a fantastic job as a manager there. And so I would say that being a part of that group, where when it really meant something special to be part of the United States national team, I think that was probably one of my proudest moments. It, it, was, it was a strong group uh, who competed uh, for every roll of the ball in every minute of every game. And I think that was what people appreciated about the national team at that time, despite the fact that of course you're going to get criticism that, that, uh, that we didn't possess the ball as well. We weren't as sophisticated as other teams. And that, that goes to the, to the maturity of the league and the players that were playing in the league at that time. But I would say that, that, that the best moments of course, were the, the highs of beating Mexico, the highs of qualifying for the world cup. and, and every time you step out on the field, that, that you're proud to represent your country. So that that's what I remember from my time um, with the team.
1: Well, Kerry, we really appreciate it. And uh, just best of luck with the CONCACAF Champions League and U.S. Open Cup and MLS play. We look forward to seeing supporting Sporting KC on television and whenever they come into town. Great. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it.
2: With Metro and the best deal in wireless, you can rule your day. Get two lines with 5G access included for just $35 a month per line. Period. With taxes and regulatory fees included every month. All on America's largest 5G network at no extra charge. Metro by T-Mobile. Empowering you to rule your day. Requires auto pay. First month is $40 per line for two lines. 5G access requires capable device. Coverage not available in some areas. See MetroByTmobile.com or store for details.